Yes, of course I'm going to get a shot as soon as I finish putting the podcast together. I'm going to shot. Yeah, it's of course it's available. It's right over there in the liquor cabinet. Oh hi, it's uh, Pete Pomisano. And welcome to another edition of RLTP's Off Road. I hope all of you are staying safe and sane out there. Things have gotten a little crazy again as we go back into another color-coded adventure in quarantine. Right now, we're uh, in the oranges, uh, threatening to get into the reds, and uh, a lot of people are kind of fed up with this, a little tired of it, but, you know, what can you do about it? What you can do is you can wear your damn mask. That's what you can do. You can follow the rules. You can help us all out. That's, that's what you can do. The sooner we get control of this thing, the sooner we're back out in the clear, the sooner we can go back into our theaters and uh, music concert venues, and uh, the, the sooner we can do all that stuff. But we have to get through this winter first. Wear your mask. Okay, enough with the political statements. Let's get right down to it. The podcast this week is another terrific one. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. I will tell you about that in a moment. But first of all, we're going to do our to-go segment, which has gotten so important in this quarantine era because these restaurants really need our help. And I hope that when you hear about our to-go segment and you hear about the restaurants we're talking about, that you go out and you support these restaurants Uh, Get some to-go. Get some takeout. It is critical to their survival. And today we're talking to RLTP Ensemble member Katie Mallinson, the lovely Katie Mallinson. And she's going to tell us about two of her favorite takeout spots. And then I'll probably throw in one of my own as well. And then after that, (laughs) and then after that, I sat down to talk with one of my buddies from the theater world, Mr. Brian Mislevy. Here's somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a while. I've put it off, but I thought, you know what? It's getting a time where we need a laugh. And Brian is known as one of the great comedic actors in Buffalo, but he's also a great dramatic actor, a great musical actor. He's just just a great all-around actor. And it was a lot of fun to talk to him. And I think you'll enjoy it as well. It was a long interview. It was like six and a half hours, I think. And then I cut it down to 45 minutes for your uh, pleasure. But first, let's talk to Katie Mallinson and uh, see what she has to say about some to-go restaurants that she patronizes regularly. In this off-road segment that we call our LTP's Ensemble To-Go. Let's talk about your your favorite uh, places for takeout. Yep, uh, Nick's Place and and then Taste of Siam. I don't know either of those restaurants. I don't know where they are. Which one do you want to start with? Um, we can start with Taste of Siam. It's um, on Elmwood. It's Elmwood uh, Village in the city. Mm-hmm. And Nick's Place is on Amherst Street, um, like Black Rock area. Taste of Siam is in the Elmwood Village area near... It's by the Spot Coffee on Elmwood, so it's by um, oh, the, co-op, oh. the co-op. By the um, co-op. So, so tell me what you like about Taste of Siam or... Why is it a favorite of yours? It's just so delicious. The food is so good, and they give you so much so that in pre-COVID, you could share with people. We don't do that anymore, so now I just get to keep it all for myself and have several meals. When you can go in, it's so friendly and lovely, and they just are very quick, and it's, it's just really, really good food that you could eat a ton. Is it strictly takeout? 
In other words, could you sit? Could you sit there during better times? Could you sit inside? Yeah, during um, in the land before time, um, you could go in and sit, and it's really lovely inside. So when they do reopen for indoor seating, you know, you can go in, and um, it's got a nice ambiance. It's also very close to me, so I can walk there. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite dishes there? Uh, the yellow curry. Yellow curry is so good. Yeah. <laughs> they also have a good pad thai, and they the spring rolls are good. Do you have to go in to get it, or will they bring it out, or... You can, um, I, they're really accommodating. You can walk in and grab it. If there is, a, I think you can walk out to do it or they do delivery through Grubhub. Okay. And is it fast? Yeah. Yeah, really fast. How about the price range, roughly? Um, I looked it up. So it's it's a $2, it's a $2, but I would say, you know, $20 would get you lots of meals. You know? like <laughs> lots a, of food, lots for of se- food for several days in a row. For, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. After you, I mean, you could have it for several days. So gets me an appetizer, a main meal. Yeah. Here's an odd question. I may not even leave it in there, but do they use styrofoam containers? That's a great question. Or do they use those cardboard? Yeah. So the they do use styrofoam. So the main stuff usually comes in like a plastic, like one of the tall plastic containers, but they mm-hmm. do have the, like the spring rolls will come in a small styrofoam. I've gotten to the point where I just, every time I see styrofoam, because everything goes in the recycle bin except right. styrofoam. Right. But every time I get takeout that comes in, in styrofoam, I go, oh, shoot, now I've got all this waste and I throw it in the garbage. And I always feel I'm yeah. still trying to I'm still trying to save the world at, at my advanced age. Let's talk about the other place now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now sure. I finished yeah. whining about this. So Nick's place is just it's a little it's a tiny mom and pop shop diner in Black Rock on Amherst Street across from the Wegmans there. Okay. And I just love it because it's good cheap breakfast i food you know i get the two eggs home fries toast if i'm feeling saucy i throw in some bacon yeah it's like for like five dollars and no frills but just delicious it sounds like a deli is it a deli no it's like a i mean i think they technically call it a greek diner but it's not it's just like a i feel bad about this term but it's like a greasy spoon diner but Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but that's kind of what it is just no frills they run the gamut from breakfast to dinners? They do have a lunch menu with burgers and sandwiches. They're only open 7 to 3, and that's even pre-COVID. That's their hours, so it's like a breakfast lunch place. You do have to run in and grab it, but it's very, very, they're so quick, and um, like I said, it's cheap. The only challenging thing about them is because they're so old school, they don't really have a website, so you, to get the menu, you have to go to, like, there's, like, pictures. It's a website called Z- Zomato, I guess. I think it's a lot of regulars that just know what to get. Mm-hmm. But you can order by phone you don't have to yeah there's a place out here one of my little favorite diners out here same thing only breakfast and lunch only open from seven till i think 2 30 or 3 like you said but it's just great sandwiches and and really reasonably priced and uh i should plug them next (laughs) as a matter of fact now that i think of it and i will i'll I'll do it separately from this not to take away from nick's diner and of course it it probably is a, a greek diner right i mean yeah, you got the omelets, the whole thing, yeah. With the fe- uh, the uh, pita bread and all that and the feta cheese and all that. Well, that sounds great. I was sad because my, I don't know if you ever went to Amy's Place or have you ever heard of Amy's Place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of it, sure. It's closed. It, <gasps> that would have been oh. it. That's like a staple. It was on Main Street and yes, and that, like the COVID closings and that, that broke my heart. So can't plug that. <laughs> that. That is heartbreaking. Is there anything I need to know about either of these two places? Like there's a place out here that only takes cash. 
Do you know if these places are also take credit cards and things, or is there anything else? So Taste Asylum takes credit cards. You can order online if you wanted, or you mm-hmm. can call. I usually order online. Um, Nick's Place used to be cash only, but they are doing card now. I don't know if they prefer cash, but you can do card. You just pay when you get there. Okay. Thanks for talking to me, Katie. Yeah, and, good and luck. Good, Thank you for oh, doing good all this. <laughs> oh, you know what? We just thought it would be a good idea. Now it's it's gotten to be critical again. So Yeah. I'm I hope places can hang on. I hope this sort of stuff can do it. I mean I know. That's all we I don't want to do. be Buffalo in two thousand eight again where there's no <laughs> desolate. <I> <laughs> all right, dear. Thank you very much. Good luck at work. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye now. So I'm talking to Katie, and of course, in my own mind, I'm thinking about what what are my favorite places out here? I live here out in Hamburg, and there are some great, great restaurants out here. But I thought she was talking about little sort of mom-and-pop places, and here's a place that I recommend strongly in the Hamburg area. It's right on Camp Road. It's just off the throughway exit. It's Route 75. It's called Savory's. And it is a delightful little diner that serves only breakfast and lunch. But, oh, boy, what a menu they have. And they've got one of those giant chalkboards with all these specials on it. Of course, if you're getting takeout, you'd have to have them read the specials for you, you know, over the phone. But just the regular menu. They have all these different Eggs Benedict things. My favorite is the Southwest Benny, which has... I can't even begin to tell you, but it's it's like having a, a Southwest burrito, but with, with a Benny sauce on it, and there's bacon and beans, and and it's all on cornbread. It's, it is delicious. And it's run by this family. It's a family-run operation, and they, they have terrific baked goods. You can get cookies, and I'm sure they have Christmas things coming out soon. So check it out. Savories on Camp Road in Hamburg. If you're in the area, try Savory's. I think you'll really enjoy it, and the food is very good. Okay, it's time to move on to our primary interview of the week. And as I said, this interview could still be going on if Brian didn't have better things to do. Uh, He was off in Massachusetts, which is his home area, uh, visiting his mom. And he took time out to talk to me, and we just had a wonderful time. So I hope you enjoy this interview with one of our favorite guys, one of our best Buffalo talents, Brian Mislivy. You know, for some reason, I thought, you know, I'm going to check where Brian's from, because I, I thought, sure, you were a local boy. And then I remembered, in Good People... You yeah, came yeah, in yeah. to coach us on the Boston, you know, the Massachusetts uh, yeah, dialect. Uh, dialect. And I thought, oh, Danvers, Mass. Where the hell is that? <laughs> so where is Danvers, Mass? I uh, So, yeah, I grew up in uh, Danvers, uh, Danvers, Massachusetts. And actually, Danvers used to be uh, part of Salem Village. So it's... it's, it's oh, Salem. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the, uh, you know, growing up in high school, we did a production of The Crucible. 
And uh, but all, <laughs> but all that all that took place in my hometown. So when we did the production, it was fascinating because when we did the production of the Crucible in high school, we actually could go to the Danvers Town Archive and you know look at and his, research it his physical signature on documents and stuff and wow. you know transcripts and stuff. And um, we actually went and found uh, this was back in. Uh, 1990 maybe but we found where he was buried uh where the family on the proctor farm actually buried his body and it's it's a shame because currently where it is is there is a major highway and there's an on-ramp and an off-ramp and then there's the other main street like this he is buried on a that small triangle plot in between all these things so there's a giant stone marker but it's like you know it's off a highway in the middle of who knows. You what. zip right past it. It's just like you drive by. If you didn't know where it was, you wouldn't know. But so, yeah, so, so Danvers is uh, part of all that. It's such a rich historical background. And how interesting to do that show in high school and to be able to go down the street. <laughs> Let's oh, go do some research. And, and you, oh, that's amazing. It was interesting, the connection that uh, that you felt kind of you know, because he's a, it's a character in a play and it all happened, blah, 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 blah. But then you look and you go, wow, like that piece of paper, like he had in his hand and he signed that. That's amazing. And uh, wow. So yeah, it was- well, That uh, gives me the chills just to think about it. <laughs> Must be those witches. Yeah, and that's right. <laughs> so you grew up in, you grew up in Danvers and it's yep. near Salem Village. Yep. And so what about your family? Did you have a big family? I have one uh, older brother who mm -hmm. is uh, about four years older than me. And he was a, uh, for a long time, he was a uh, professional photographer. So very creative, very artistic. Uh, yeah, so he's, uh, you know, he's still around. But yeah, generally our 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 close family was pretty small, mm. uh, but have some cousins and, you know, aunts and uncles and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah. So did you get involved in high school? Obviously, you got involved in high school, but did you really get the bug? in high school doing the high school shows? No, it was uh, it was much earlier than that. I, I always kind of, um, I always found it fun to make people laugh. And then I think too, it was a nice nice way to kind of distract from anything negative that was going on or yeah, yeah. Uh, if there was any sort of, you know, tension or, you know, social groups that you didn't fit into, you could always make somebody laugh and like, yeah, that's a pass, <laughs> you know? So, uh, <laughs> but growing up uh, here in uh, Massachusetts, north of Boston, uh, there was uh, Channel 56. And uh, on every Saturday and Sunday at Channel 56, there was a, there were, they played a movie at noon, a movie at two, <laughs> and a movie at four and it was always like either a Don Knotts movie or a Jerry Lewis movie you know and so and uh, in between that on channel 38 there was the three stooges so yes. that's that's the kind of the pocket that I sat in first you know I could I'm sorry I just Jerry Lewis I can see I don't see Don Knotts in you I, I don't I don't know why exactly that's oh yes. so that's kind of you know I just um I just always loved the 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 wackiness and and the kind of that uh edge pushing stuff especially you know Jerry Lewis with the physical stuff and mm -hmm. you know and then kind of from there started to to get all into other kinds of things Saturday Night Live and 
Uh, Dan Aykroyd always was a big uh, influence watching the Bassomatic and certainly the Blues Brothers and started playing harmonica because, you know, Elwood Blues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, but but another thing too is that kind of in that comedy stew, had a big vinyl record collection. So growing up had um, certainly Monty Python records and um, George Carlin was huge for me love George Carlin and his use of words and language and ridiculousness and voices and characters and you know all that kind of stuff and yeah I had several of his albums his vinyl as well and I just I just remember just laughing just laughing and laughing and that feeling is so amazing and then when um uh, I was in fifth grade my first my first kind of official performance was uh I went to a Catholic school went to St. Mary's of the Annunciation <laughs> and uh, they had a talent show. And, you know, so everybody got up and they're doing little things. And I said, I could do something. And so <laughs> I did, uh, I aped um, Bill Cosby's Noah routine. Yeah, Noah. So, Noah. Yes, Lord. Lord. What's um, a cubit? What's a cubit? And <laughs> did that. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I'm getting. So at the time you're thinking, you're almost thinking stand up. Yeah, for me, kind of it all just blended into a mush of, you know, making people laugh and uh, that sound and the response and the connection, especially in a comedy show where there's such a, uh, a tight connection between the audience and the performer when it's when it's really on. Mm-hmm. You can you can feel that and you you play with the timing and the tension mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of ride that ride that wave and things like that is um it's it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't who hasn't been in that situation yeah hey listen so did your parents incur what did your mom and dad do uh let's see mom was a uh school teacher uh taught for years and years and years taught math uh and my dad actually was a um a biochemist Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, he worked um, at a place called New England Nuclear that was like a did nuclear medicine and, and mm-hmm. research and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So what did they think of this of this crazy son of theirs gets up and starts <laughs> stealing comedy from uh, Cosby and, and uh, Carlin? They kind of got, you know, they weren't in, at the school performance. It was like an, it was like during school and assembly oh, or okay. something like that. And they kind of got word back that like, wow, that's interesting. You should keep an eye on that one. <laughs> you know? But they loved it. And my mom, um, my dad split when I was young, so he wasn't really around that much. Uh, but my mom was uh, great, very supportive, always came to, you know, see performances. And then, so That's I did that. Great. So then you go into uh, uh, high school and you, now you're starting to do plays and musicals yeah. and things. Yeah, and, and obviously you must have had some great success there. I loved it. I loved it. So what really drew that to me is, again, I, I, love, I love the laughter. I love the energy of that. I love the excitement. And then having a love for that, I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade, maybe, and there was a, the high school theater needed kids. And so I went in and auditioned <laughs> and I did, uh, did the, uh, the show The Boyfriend. <laughs> did mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, who's that? I'm the third kid on the left, you know. Um, <laughs> but had a couple of little moments of stuff that I just really enjoyed and and. And that's where that whole other part comes in, where it's, it's um, you know, one of the amazing things about doing a show or doing a production is whether it's a huge musical with a big cast or a small, you know, small piece with one or two characters and things like that. It's not a solo venture. You know, you feel part of something that's bigger than yourself. And, you know, I remember uh, walking into the auditorium and there's, you know, 
people building sets and setting up music stands and the orchestra's coming in and the director and there's, we got to do this and we're working together. And it's that sense of being a part of a giant um, collaborative yeah. venture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly the performances are fun and things like that, but a lot of my uh, very best memories and experiences kind of doing shows and things like that have been all those, it's the same with a lot of people, but it's all the, it's all the stuff that happens off stage. You know, it's the mm -hmm. conversations and the friendships and the fun of like, especially as I remember, you know, some doing summer stock in, in uh, high school summer shows and that sense of like, I can't wait to get there tonight because mm -hmm. why? Because everybody's there, you know, and I, <laughs> I want to get there and just be part of that and yeah, and uh, that sense of uh we're you know we're all we're all here together doing something and you know that's the that's the joy of live theater too is because it's it's you as an ensemble as a group of people both backstage and front stage and you know the technicians and the musicians and the people doing the makeup but then you get on stage and it it expands to everybody that's in that space with you in the in the audience, and I mean it's magic, you know. So how did you end up coming to Niagara? Yeah, it's um it's interesting. They had a there was a group called the NETC, the New England Theater Conference, hmm. and um, so when you were a high school senior, uh, you would sign up and go to I think it was Faneuil Hall in Boston or maybe it was at a university or something, I can't remember. But basically you'd get up and, you know, if you sang, you'd do your song, uh, you have uh, five minutes to do two contrasting monologues and you get up there and there's all representatives in the audience from different colleges oh, and universities and programs. Okay. And so I went and I did my bit and, um, <laughs> you know, you go, you kind of go after and look at the sheet about who wants to see who and, and talk to a bunch of different schools and stuff. And then, and then met up with um, brother Augustine too, uh, sure. uh, from Niagara University, and um, he's just like he's this little round man, you know. And, and you go up to the table, and he, he kind of looks like Buddha, but he's yep. you know dressed as a priest, and he, he kind of says hello, and they say, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you." He says, "Well, where where are you looking?" And I gave him the list of schools I was looking at. He says, "Well, those are those are nice, but you need to come to Niagara." And I said, "Oh." <laughs> okay, so arranged a arranged a visit to go up and and check it out and. Um... Uh, same thing. I went up that weekend and met everybody in the program and auditioned and uh, saw a production they did. It was Anything Goes, which was a blast. Sure. And um, uh, and it was, uh, you know, again, it was that feeling of, oh, uh, this, I got to be a part of this. This, <laughs> uh, this feels good. You know? <laughs> and uh, I mean, Niagara, it's it, it's it's a it's a machine. We've got so yeah. many people locally who have who have gone through that program and, and many of them. Because of, because of Brother Augustine. Yep, absolutely. Did, did, had somebody turned you on to this sort of audition thing that you were talking about? When you were in high school, Yeah. did somebody say to you, okay, there's this, you're good enough to go and try to do this in college and there's this thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a lot of people that I talked to that always have like that guy mm -hmm. that was like, you know what, you should think about this. Or yeah. you know what, you're really strong in this area, but you're, you're kind of- uh, You could use some training over here. Yeah, yeah. right. And um, so that was uh, my high school theater uh, director, Bill Enslow, and uh, just wonderfully inspirational, positive, uh, talented, you know, mentor, guide, friend, he was very encouraging. You know, feel very lucky to have had somebody 
uh, like that to kind of help point the way a little bit and guide and teach and encourage and just, you know, be happy for you. He actually came up to see a couple of things. He came up when I did at the Irish uh, American Buffalo. And then when we did the producers at the Kavanoke, he came up and saw that. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, many years, many years later, yeah. uh, it, was, it was great to be able to kind of share, share those performances with him as well. Were you into other things in high school, sports or? Yeah, I mean, de definitely didn't do sports, but I, I did um, uh, sound design and recording and really? uh yeah and uh and music played in the band in high school mm. lost a good amount of my hearing playing in my friend's basement <laughs> Me too. why is my why is my right ear bad well you turned that way next to the drummer oh that's that's my left ear the drummer was right there always <laughs> with the cymbal right i know stop that yeah. but actually it was interesting because the um kind of jumping ahead here and there it's like sound sound recording and uh i mean we got this i think my buddy and i both you know, scrounged and saved and each chipped in 40 bucks to buy us Tascam, you know, cassette four track machine that we could <laughs> record the band. And, and you could do overdubs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was magic, you know. But so like working with that, uh, then when I actually went to Niagara, one of the things I did was as part of the honors program for my senior honors thesis recorded, worked, it did sound design all through college, did, mm. did designed all the sound for the shows and sound effects and miking and live stuff, but uh, was, was cutting, you know, quarter inch tape on a on a block with yep. a razor blade and I've taping done it and all this kind of stuff. And um, so did that. And for my senior thesis, I did a uh, radio play, uh, Samuel Beckett's radio play, Embers. Mm. And Brother Tui uh, did a part and uh, Lynn Kirchhoff from Otto did a part. And uh, I did a couple of things. And so that was my honors thesis that did that. Then when I got out of uh, and down into New York City after graduating Niagara, a friend of mine cheered me from, you know, <laughs> from editing on a block with a razor blade to digital sound editing. <laughs> and it was like, this is unbelievable, you know. Yeah. Um, but after I left New York City, ended up coming back to Massachusetts and working at a video game company for a couple of years and kind of moved into that by doing the sound design and sound editing. Uh, as well. And so that's kind of working with sound and audio has has been another through line kind of all through my, you know, creative endeavors and and um, hobbies and stuff like that as well. And and has kind of brought me to where I am today for employment and things yeah. like that. Well, well, we'll get to that, but I'm yeah. still, but I'm still back on Niagara. So you, you graduate from Niagara, you go to New York? Yeah, well, uh, Niagara was amazing. I mean, Niagara University, uh, just as a as an institution was amazing because it was, you know, it was conservatory style training housed within a liberal arts degree. So you'd have, you know, amongst all your classes with philosophy and religion and English and science, and everything like that, you'd have theater 101. Under that umbrella title, you're doing, you know, seven different classes at mm -hmm, the same time. Mm -hmm. So it was, so it really was like, I learned a lot by doing. Right. And so Niagara uh, gave me some wonderful opportunities to perform uh, and to grow my skill set and, and all that kind of stuff by doing a lot of things and working with, you know, all kinds of different people. And I met my lovely wife, Jennifer, <laughs> and uh, at Niagara and also, you know, made some lifelong friends that I'm still in touch with. And, uh, you know, just really I just loved it. It was a magical time. So did you have connections in New York or, or friends or something? <laughs> I mean, did you have somebody down there who said, come on down? Or were you like? Like everybody who graduates with, you know, you're highly yeah. respected in your field in college and you think, <laughs> boom, I'm going to go take a shot. 
I, to be honest with you, I had I had zero clue as to what to expect on there. Nothing. And uh, my friend, uh, Chris McEwen, who I love dearly and was one of my closest friends in college, but he was a couple of years older than me and moved down ahead of us. And it was kind of always the plan of like, well, when we get out, we'll kind of connect up with you and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll move down there. So he kind of scouted out this place and, you know, he was doing some, some off, 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 off Broadway stuff. So basically when we graduated, it was the, uh, the, the little small group of us that moved down and we rented a house together in, uh, <laughs> out in Flushing, Queens, Flushing, which Flushing. is like, can you be farther away and take longer? So it was one of those, like, you know, the open call for an, I get down there. I have no clue where anything is. I don't know how the whole place works. I'm terrified. And, you know, uh, you know, it was ridiculous. How so, do you, the subways are so complicated. But, so, but like, you know, they were like, well, we found this house we can rent. It was like, oh, that's great. So by the time we get down there, turns out it takes, you know, literally two and a half hours to get into the city. So if there's an open call, all at, you know that starts at eight it's yeah. like okay i gotta get up at four yeah i have right. to i have to walk to the bus stop because i don't have a car the bus comes once every hour if you miss it you're screwed <laughs> by the time you take the bus into the subway the subway you gotta wait for the subway it takes another 45 minutes to get into the city from where it was like it was painful. And then it's a 20 minute walk from, <laughs> from the subway stop. I remember my first audition. I had no clue where to go in. And I, you know, I bought my new shoes for the audition. And of course. by the time I got there, I literally couldn't walk. It was, you know, ah, painful. And nothing I, worse than new shoes. You oh, try to break man. them in and they're breaking you down. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. So I had no clue what to expect. And, you know, it was like so long ago at this point that it was, I remember the big move of like, I got a beeper. You know, I got my beeper because if they call, <laughs> I'm ready. You know, this is oh, free cell phones and everything else. So, but uh, yeah, so we moved down there and, and um, was Jen also a performer? She was a singer, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she did um, wonderful actress, has an unbelievable voice, beautiful yes. singing yes. voice uh, and powerful and, and wonderful. And so, yeah, so when we were down in the city, let's see, we were down there for a couple of years and she was doing a lot of uh, national tours. She was doing a show, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit, and a couple of other things with uh, Theater Works USA. So she was doing bus and truck tours here, there, and everywhere. And um, I was doing some, you know, wacky little things off, 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 off Broadway and little commercial bits and and things like that. And um, then I was lucky enough to get to an audition. I think it was an open call. I ended up my first professional gig down there. And I was so over the top excited, but had no clue what to expect. It was, um, ended up getting a gig at uh, Baltimore Center Stage, and we did Romeo and Juliet. And um, I played Balthazar, who is Romeo's, you know, sidekick buddy. Sidekick, but, yeah. but it was, um, it was an, it, you know, it was magical. It was, it was an, it was a, beautiful, beautiful theater in downtown uh, Baltimore. Uh, actually, the production uh, Romeo was played by uh, Michael C. Hall, who was later Michael Dexter. C. Hall. Dexter, sure. And uh, Mercutio was Dennis O'Hare, oh, yeah. uh, who's been in tons of stuff and actually wrote um, I know him. an Iliad that uh, uh, that Matt Whitten did a couple of years ago. So he, Dennis wrote, he wrote that? that. Yeah. Yeah, that was. I had uh, no idea. Yeah, so I mean, to to uh, to be a part of that, and Irene Lewis directed that, and um, it was again, it was just a wonderful, positive experience, and really like, wow, this is like 
This was that your first wild. pro gig? That was my first pro gig. We did, I did a couple of things at Art Park over the summer, mm-hmm. um, you know, Art Park at the church and things sure, like sure. that. But that was the that was my very first kind of like, I did it on my own. Nobody knows who I am. I went and auditioned. Yes. I got it. It's a <laughs> reputable, you know, regional theater. They do wonderful work there. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was wild. So I feel unbelievably lucky to have done some amazing work down in the city and then kind of uh, all over the place. Went down there and you're pounding the pavement and I was working at nights, uh, painting ceilings and uh, waiting tables and things Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, basically the last like year and a half or two, maybe two years, but probably about a year and a half that I was down in the city was lucky enough to be able to kind of work full time as an actor. Mm. One of the Let's see, again, kind of going back to why is it important to go to open calls, even if you might not be right for something? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of, one of the things that I was most proud of kind of coming out of the city was basically went on an open call. They're looking for young young guys and went and auditioned and casting director kind of pulls me aside afterwards and said, well, thanks very much, but you're just, you know. Not right for this. You're not right. It's it's, it's an Italian family. Mm-hmm. You know, you're pasty <laughs> Irish. You're not ethnic enough. You know, thank you very much. It's nice to meet you. And I said, nice to meet you too. It's fine. It's blah, 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 blah. So then about two weeks later, I get a call from the casting director who says, really, uh, really enjoyed your performance. Again, you are not right for this, but I'd love for you to come in. And um, if you can help us with the auditions, we'd love for you to be the reader at the auditions. So, oh, that'd be great. Sure, absolutely. So I went down and uh, went for about, uh, off and on for about maybe maybe about a month or something like that, reading with everybody that came through the door. And there's faces I recognize and people I don't, but that are amazing and things like that. And um, over the course of the kind of the audition process, I keep seeing the director kind of watching me instead of watching who was auditioning (laughs) at different times. And finally, uh, the casting director called me back and said, look, we'd like to offer you the role. And I said, wow, I thought it was- I thought it was- Tasty Irish, come on. I thought I was not ethnic enough. And he said, look, just shut up read i was like i was like okay fine so um but but like through that process got to do um a show off broadway at uh, second stage theater and we did a restage of the a play called gemini mm-hmm. uh, by albert inarado and uh, mark brokaw directed it and but i'm I, just the thrill of working with people of, of that caliber being part of that ensemble working with the playwright on this exciting thing it was unbelievable and then i just remember the thrill of like, hey guys, we got the programs in, boom, you know, and you're like, crack it open. And it's like, holy shit, that's a real playbill. And if I open it, <laughs> my, my name's name is in, there. in that. <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, blah, 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 yeah. playbill. I'm like, this is a real playbill this is and the... my name is in it. Yeah. And uh, man, it was wild. What and so, thrill. yeah, we, oh, it was, and then we had, I uh, got my picture in the New York Times with the cast on this thing. And it was a trip and, and then did a show at Yale Rep uh, that was called A Cup of Coffee, and it was a Preston Sturges play. So I was able to do that show uh, at Yale Rep. And interestingly, talk about kind of full circle on stuff. The guy who directed that was Joe Grafazzi. Oh, I know Joe, right, yes. Right, so Joe's like Buffalo guy. So I'm like, I know people in Buffalo. I went to school up there, blah, blah, blah. Trying to like, for about three weeks, I'm trying to find people he might know. And then I said, ah, hey, wait, I know somebody. I think he actually said he went to high school with you. Do you know Fortunato Pesamenti? And he's thinking, he goes, no, never heard of the guy. I said, oh, I, I swear he said he went to high school with you. No, never heard of him. I said, oh, okay. Then about a week and a half later, he comes up and he's, he goes, Fortunato Pezimenti, you mean Freddie Pez? Freddie Pez. 
<laughs> I said, yeah, that's the guy. Freddie, because he, he was oh, Freddie in those years. Yeah. Freddie Pez, man. And it was, uh, so that whole experience was was a trip. But what ended up happening was, um, you know, by that point, Jen and I are married and I never saw her. She was on a national tour. Oh, sure. You know, gone for six, six months at a time. I'm in Connecticut for three months, living out of a suitcase, coming back, doing this, going back here. And, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, everything kind of converged at that moment. And it was like, uh, you know, really want to start a family. Don't want to do it in the city. Mm -hmm. uh, where do we go? Massachusetts, where my family is, or up to Buffalo area where Jen's family is. We ended up going to Massachusetts at that time too. But one, you know, a couple of other things happened at the same time was like had some problems with some casting directors, some really bad experiences, worked with a couple of directors and, and really big projects that really like just turned me off to like it was like some of the feedback that you would get, you know, you're working hard, you're doing your best, you think you're doing good work. And then you get the feedback kind of like, you know what, just, uh, I don't know how to, can you just do it better? Like, <laughs> like that's the end of the sentence. Like uh -huh. there's nothing more of like, what do you mean? And so, you know, uh, what uh, combined with just a general unsettling of, I don't know if I, uh, want to raise a family here in the city. But at the same time, too, the business itself is is challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, it's challenging to continue to make a living doing stuff. And then it was like, the part that I always loved was the performance part. And towards the end of my time in the city, I started to not enjoy the performance part. Mm -hmm. And it kind of was like, I, that's the only reason I'm doing this. And if I'm not even enjoying that, then like, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, so I so it, it really, you know, it was uh, it just kind of felt it was the right time, you know, for me. And so after that, I ended up uh, we ended up moving to Massachusetts for about um, four and a half years or so. Got back to playing music, played in a blues band, and uh, worked for a video game company, and um, did some amazing work. Got to work in some Star Trek projects, and you know, do voices. And what what I found, and this is still true with the work that I do today, but what I found amazing is that kind of coming out of New York City, it was one of the moments in my life where it was almost abject terror <laughs> of that <laughs> open horizon of, okay, I've up to this point, I've always defined myself as an actor. Like, that's who I am. That's what I do. If I'm not that, who am I? Or what do I do? Like, what do I do now? And um, I was lucky enough to find that job and do creative work that was fulfilling and exciting and challenging and complicated. And what was amazing to me is that all of the skills that I had learned with my theater degree, all of the experience that I've had doing shows all translated directly to this new endeavor. And, and I still find that today at Fisher Price and Mattel is like being creative, collaborating with a diverse set of people who are, uh, uh, have talents that you don't, but they all need to converge. Can you communicate? Can you sell your idea in? Can you write something down and convey an idea? Can you write a script? Can you rally people together who don't necessarily know how to work together and get it to come together to something that works? And then on top of that, just people skills, being able to kind of work with somebody and understand direction, take critique, take guidance, help other people to get to your vision and all those kind of like, all of that played right into everything else that I've done since that time in, in a professional career. And so to have that attitude and to have that uh, ability to kind of work with people has uh, has helped me in, in everything that I've done. 
Well, how did the Fisher Price gig come about? It, 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 that you found this particular mm -hmm. role there. That and what what is the particular role there? You might as well tell that because we've jumped ahead. But that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask you about this anyway. Yeah. How did you find this particular position? Yeah. Well, at the um, at the software company, which was uh, Mad Doc Software at the time, and and since they've grown to uh, be a part of the uh, Rockstar Games. But at the time, it was um, we were a smaller office. We were a developer. Again, we had a young family at the time. My oldest son was about eighteen months, and in that in that situation, the hours are massive. So you're a developer. If you get a deadline, you're working. I just found that I was never home, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, the work was amazing the environment was amazing my my peers my boss my colleagues were amazing the work was challenging and creative but i just found that i was i was not home and again i started to get off kilter with the balance of my life and so i wanted to be home with jen i wanted to be home with my son sure. and uh, so I started to kind of put some feelers out um, and obviously with family connections up here having gone to school up here started to kind of look around and and fresher price popped up and it was a a role of a producer and i said well I'm a producer. <laughs> I moved from doing kind of sound design into production work. And, you know, and again, it was one of those kind of hit it at the right time, uh, looked at the job description and every single thing they listed, I was like, I can do that. Like I can do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, went through, put an application and had some interviews, met with people. They flew me out, had some conversations with people. And I've been there now for 16 years. So we moved up in uh, 2004 and my role now is the, um, I manage the product content design team. And so basically any product that Fisher Price makes that talks, sings, teaches anything, has logic or buttons or lights and motors, all of that stuff comes through my group. And I'm writing song lyrics and I'm writing scripts and I'm playing with kids and it's yada, yada, yada. And, uh, so no, you're surrounded by all this other talent as well. Oh, it's a very satisfying yeah. situation. Oh, it's amazing. And again, like to, one of the things that I love about the job and is one of the same reasons why I love the experience of doing a show too, is like, it's that creative chaos of everybody working together with different skill sets to come to <laughs> something at the end that yeah, you yeah. hope is what you wanted it to be, you know, yeah. you get as close as you can. And, uh, and, you know, it's one of those jobs where like every single day is different. Uh, and years ago, it's, I mean, we had you doing some voices for us yeah. a thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, but you're getting to work with some of these, the, you know, the, the talent and, and to have the kind of the corporate support behind uh, Fisher Price is owned by Mattel. So we've got, you know, any creative resource, uh, whether it be somebody trying to figure out how to, a new technology or, you know, I need some voices or I need this, you know, like somehow we can get it. It is a challenging, uh, creative, fun place that I love, you know, it's yeah, like, it sounds like it's very satisfying. Oh, it's, it's wonderful, you know, and That's cool. yeah, it's, that is I mean, it's wild. So, wow. did, so then did you, so I was going to ask you what came first, the chicken or the egg here. So, did, <laughs> so you, you came to Buffalo first to work at East, in East Aurora at Fisher Price. Yep. And then you said, uh, okay, Jen, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take up uh, Fortunato. I'm going to go see Freddie <laughs> or, or whatever. Freddie Pez. Freddie Pez. Is that where it all started again that you yeah, got I back mean, on stage? Yeah. And it was because um, when we moved to Massachusetts, did not have any, uh, didn't do a show. So I didn't do a show for five years. 
uh, did some voices and, like I said, played in the band and and you know yeah, you, were, my, you were performing in some. I was somewhere. doing stuff, but it never yeah. it didn't do a show. And um, so it was interesting because I I had feelers out. I I had um, some good indications that I was I was going to be able to get the job out in East Aurora. And um, for Christmas break, uh, we came up and visited with Jen's family. And while we were there, we went into the Irish Classical to see a show. And I reconnected with Fortunato because he was there. And mm -hmm. I said, ah, love the show. I think I'm going to be maybe moving up here in a while. I'd love to, you know, hey, audition. I don't know how this all works anymore. Haven't been sure. up here in a long time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he said, great. When you get up here, give me a call. You know, so from there, went and, and auditioned for him shortly after I, we moved up and did uh, She Stoops to Conquer uh, mm -hmm. was my first show in Buffalo. But I also have to say, that one of my like keystone, touchstone, primal theater experiences was when I was at Niagara and um, went into Buffalo at the old Irish theater, the Calumet, <laughs> and that weird setup where there's, you know, there's weird. two rows of chairs, three rows of chairs on either side. On either it's side. Like, yeah, it's like you're in a two subway. pillars in the middle yeah, of the, the stage. Two pillars, yeah. Right. And you're like, you know, you kind of walk in and you're like, what is funky, man? Like, what yeah. is happening here? But um, went in and saw a production of the Geely concert. <gasps> yeah. With Richard Wesp mm. and Vincent O'Neill and Josephine Hogan, directed Wonderful. by Fortunato. And that was one of those experiences where and I've had a I've had a couple of those both in in uh, you know going to see musical performances or myself playing in a band or or getting on stage and doing a show, that was one of those like touchstones for me that I will always go back to is that performance mm -hmm. in that space and seeing how at times you know quiet and personal and at the end you know explosive and violent and and fulfilling and sad and enraging and they were you know again that that space where they are literally it was a wonderful three feet away from you yeah and it is just all happening and and all three of those performers joe and vincent and and richard it was like i came out of there going oh my god <laughs> if i could someday i want to be a part of that i want to do that i would like if I, I i don't know i don't know how to fit in there but I want that. Mm. And so for me, that always, always resonates with me as, as a, a, as a powerful kind of like ground shifting moment is to see that performance. And yeah. it's so gratifying and I feel so grateful to be where I am today and to be able to call Vincent and Josephine like friends and colleagues and collaborators and to work, you know, with them in so many different ways uh, over the years and different, you know, different types of performances and just to get to know them and Fortunato having worked with him umpteen times, but it was so meaningful to me to see that come alive and then to be able to get in there and be a part of that with those people all these years later, just uh, has meant a tremendous amount uh, to me kind of uh, on a creative and, and personal level. I want to bring up the uh, American Buffalo Oh, because, I love it. Well, because you talk, you talk so much about you know the, enjoying the the sound of people's laughter and so on. Oh yeah, and that 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 was pretty straight play. I, I mean, you played it. you played a kind of a bad guy in that. Yeah. So I mean, the question comes to my mind is: Are you are you one of these guys? The clown always wants to play the straight guy, or you know wants to play the drama, and yeah. the guys who are always doing drama, they always want to do comedy. 
comedy is clearly your favorite. Yeah. But the the idea of getting in there and, and sinking your teeth into some drama, that that must also be very appealing. Yeah. There's. I mean, so every every show has its like, oh wow, that was great, and there's some amazing experiences in all of it. But but that's another one. That's another that certainly the night alive for me, and both directed by Brian Kavanaugh. You know, one of the things that's a, like a key point of difference on that is that it is a contemporary, it's a contemporary piece. It's real language. There's people that talk like that. But at the same time, too, there there are moments of absolute hilarity in that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, too, that script and those characters and the ensemble that we had just clicked. Like Chris Brangie's Brilliant in that. And, uh, you know, Jose played the young guy. Brilliant in that. And um, it was a great show. Is it, was that the only mammoth you've done? Well, I was lucky enough to do a reading with Alec Baldwin of oh, yes. uh, Speed the Plow. I remember that. Uh, with, yep. with Scott Berend and, and Road Less Traveled. So we did mm-hmm. that. But absolutely. But something about that dialogue. You, you know, you said it. it. You know, it's funny, though, because it's like, I think that, you know, like many, many other, probably all performers, they think, well, I can do anything, you know? And But you always want the challenge. You do. You always want the challenge. And, and I think for me, I don't actually do a tremendous amount of shows uh, in Buffalo because I work full-time, because I have other interests, because I have a young family, have mm-hmm. three children, have a wife, have all this kind of stuff like that. And so I, over the years, I have tried to be very judicious about the projects that I select. If I'm going to make that commitment and take that time away from my family, I want it to be something that is fulfilling, that I think I can, yes, challenge myself, but but succeed at and and to be able to work with amazing people in those circumstances. The second that Christian and Jose and I were put together as a uh, this little triangle uh, with Kavanaugh in the room, it just was like, boom, that's it. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, it was yep. like locked and loaded, <laughs> felt great. And we were just, it was on and it stayed that way through the entire rehearsal process and performances. Yeah, that that's another one of those touchstone productions for me that that is, um, that was awesome and so satisfying. <laughs> Every single thing in that show was written. So there was no there was no improvisation. There's right, no... and it sounds it sounds so natural. You'd yeah. swear that these people were just were just talking, and it takes a long time to do that. Oh I, my god! That, that the rehearsal you you've got to just <laughs> finally get to the point where it's just. Oh, it's got to be it's got to be in your in your atoms, you know. Yeah, it yeah. was it was hitting on all cylinders. And a completely different rush from uh, La Bette, for example, which oh, yeah. is which I practically peed myself during, <laughs> during that show even because that was all almost all you and all laughs from one end to the other and it's yeah. a different type of satisfaction oh it's wonderful but mammoth is is the challenge that oh. when it's when it's working when it's oh man when it, when it sits into that groove and mm-hmm. just goes and it is so it's bang 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 <laughs> oh man it's those it's that same kind of like the tether that we're all, I mean, that's, again, that's the beauty of that live theater. Like we're all in a room together. We're all experiencing this thing together right now. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're here and I'm feeling it and you're feeling it and we're all here together. And it's just like, ah, it's just, I love it. I love it. You know, I want to talk a little bit about, about your family. You have three yeah. boys. Yeah. Uh, you brag about your boys a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, they are, uh, amazing. Jen, uh, same thing. Jen is amazing. The boys are, I, I, um, 
I feel so unbelievably blessed, uh, lucky, grateful to be surrounded by the family that I have, you know, and to uh, to be able to experience them finding who they are and figuring out who they are as they move and grow from little kids when you're in the thick of this madness of, you know, three little kids in the house and things are nutty and this and blah, 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 and potty training and diapers, and everything like that. <laughs> to, to, to get, I was talking about me, but. Uh, <laughs> of course, well, I knew that. Yeah, well, I knew that. you know, but to, to be able to um, kind of get through all of those challenges. I mean, and sometimes they're really hard and sometimes things aren't. Uh, what you expected them to be. And sometimes you just don't know what to do. And, and you know, constantly, uh, for me anyway, constantly worried about, am I doing this right? You know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, oh, I'm that's doing the my... role of a parent. You, just, you, you spend your entire yeah. day going, yeah. did, did I do the right thing? I, did, yeah. It's a... And it's funny because tonight we had, um, <laughs> it's parent-teacher conference night. Oh, how fun. And um, <laughs> But the thing is, like, to, to have people that see your kids when they are not in your house, to get feedback from people that your kids are great and they're smart and funny and caring and helpful and uh, oh. all these things is like it's heaven it, it is it's oh, heaven it's, you know it really is it nothing more satisfying yeah. than hearing yeah. somebody else talk about how great your kid is yeah <laughs> and know? and yeah absolutely but it's been it's been a, a it's been wonderful to see uh, my oldest is looking at colleges now yikes um, <laughs> it's crazy you know so that, that's, that's all, jackson that's Jackson, yeah. To see him kind of grow into into himself, and and for each of them to find their passions. He's a uh, um, a brilliant uh, musician, plays the bass. It's a trip to see him play for hours and hours and hours, and hear the progress, and see him grow into an amazing young man. You know, and and that's it's magic. All of a sudden, they're people. Yeah, all of no, a sudden, they're uh, not your kids anymore. They're yeah. They're human beings. They're people, and yeah. uh, and the other two. Oh, the, the other guys are great. You know, between uh, Jen and myself, we have always tried to parent them by the philosophy of let's let's let them try and and facilitate them trying uh, as much of everything as they can, mm -hmm. and let them figure out kind of where they their passions lie. So yeah, I mean, uh, uh, my youngest guy plays football, plays the drums. Uh, my middle guy is a, is a, he's an artist and has his own style and draws and oh does, my an Lord. does animations and does, you know, this, that, the other thing. And, and both of them are also like on the high school football team and are on the varsity swim team. And Jackson, you know, uh, is on the, is a two letter, you know, he's on the varsity golf team and the varsity uh, lacrosse oh team. And, you know, so it's like, I step back and like you were asking me at the beginning of this of like well did you do anything else in high school and well no not really but like you know they are great students great kids if i'm able to separate myself and take a step back i see that they are have a broad spectrum of experiences of talents of passions and that uh you know again even the validation tonight of talking to their teachers and, and just hearing like they're good kids mm -hmm. you know and uh which is the uh, one thing you want to hear Oh More man! <laughs> this yeah. kid's good. It's, he's a good swimmer. He's good at football, but he's a jerk. 
Right, exactly. And it's funny because like, it is this way with theater and, and casting, but it's also this way in the corporate world. Like at a certain point, I don't care what you can do. If I can't stand to be in a room with you, like I'm not going to work with you. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I guess, you know. I don't that, care how talented or how smart you are. You know, You're just a jerk. I know. I, I'm sorry. It's nuts. Well, listen, oh, you know what? Did you lose any gigs because of the COVID? Any shows get canceled? <laughs> I did. As many people did in that, uh, yeah, actually it was, it was, uh, circumstantially, I was saying a little bit earlier is that I don't typically do a lot of shows. I don't mm-hmm. have a huge roster of things that I've done and very, very selective with stuff. Yeah. Um, I actually had three shows lined up. Wow. Uh, which is a, it's just usually three more that I end up That's doing. a lot for you. Yeah. Uh, and they were, yeah, I had one. We were supposed to do uh, The Mystery of Irma Vep uh, with oh, my good yes. friend Norm. Then had a couple of other projects lined up that may or may not happen whenever this comes back to life down the line, stuff like that. So, yeah, there were three gigs. And then also, too, I've been lucky enough to play in a band uh, out in, based out in East Aurora. Been playing never with been. the same, same, never been, uh, neverben.com. Uh, but we've been playing the same. It's you know, never been B-E. That's right. We've been playing together, basically the same group of six guys for 12 years. That's a miracle right there. I I tell you. And that's one of those things, again, too, the... uh... I am so appreciative and feel so lucky to have stumbled into those uh, that group of uh, fellow travelers. You know, that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, these guys. I'm with these guys. <laughs> and uh, I belong with these guys. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we had a number of kind of like larger scale things lined up as well. That's just same thing, gone evaporated into sure. who knows what's happening. Sure. You know, and that's, again, that's happened. It's uh, hugely impactful for theater, obviously, because you can't gather uh, together. But it's also, you know, it's all the things you see on Facebook and all these other things about it's not just this. It's people who print the programs and the people who drive the concessions there and and this Mm -hmm. and the thing, the costumers and and everything else. And um, so, yeah, this this pandemic sucks, (laughs) (laughs) to to put it mildly. Yeah, well well said, my friend. Well, I'm very astute that way. this uh, this podcast is called Off Road, so I'm going to ask you the Off Road question. Yeah, which, which is um, if you had not gotten into theater, yeah. or music, yeah, or even music production and what you're doing now, what's something that you, if you had taken a different road, yeah, if you had taken the road not taken, where might what might you be doing now? Yeah, besides um... being in jail, you know, which is a given. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can't be helped, and it wasn't my fault. Um, the uh, you know that's that's interesting because I have two answers to that question. One is that, as we all know, as you go through life, like I didn't think I'd end up where I'm at. I never, you know, I played with Fisher Price toys when I was a kid. I sure. never thought I'd be the guy making them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, same thing, never never kind of figured I'd end up where I'm at. So I'm just amazed that I'm here. Uh, And uh, again, grateful for who's here with me and the experiences I've had along the way. But in terms of a career wise, I I was actually very close to going into chemistry. Like I said, my dad was a chemist. Yes. uh, But my my uncle who I was super close to, Dr. J. David Davis is a chemistry professor at Merrimack College in Massachusetts or was, I was retired now, but I, um, I was always fascinated by science and always fascinated about how things work and why. And, you know, again, on a, on a level of science and chemistry, there's that. But uh, I think that also bleeds over into some of the way that, that I look at the different roles and in, in performances and things like that. If you try to pick apart, you know, what's, what's happening, why, 
what causes it. And then what happens if I do this? You know, it's that kind of curiosity, I think, that's what really... I, what if I add this little catalyst me. agent yeah. into the test tube? The road along, you know, that you travel is uh, yeah. is often unexpected. Happy to be where I'm at. Well, I'll tell you, my friend, it sounds like you are really living the dream. You got a job <laughs> you love, you got a wife you love, you got a family that's terrific from all all reports. And yeah. uh, I, I really appreciate that you have spent the time with me. Oh, happy to. And I, I miss you, guy. You know, I mean... Oh, I miss you, too. Have a good night, my friend. Oh, thank, you, too. Thank you, you so too, much man. for this, and uh, uh, love to your whole family. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to talk to you, man. Good night, bud. Okay, take care. <laughs> <laughs> what a life Brian has crafted for himself. A lucky man, but, you know, some people, they make their own luck. And now... Our mystery guest for the week. I met this young lady during Three Musketeers, and I had originally seen her in a show at RLTP called The MFR with the Hat. I won't say it, but it was a mother, you know, with a hat. And uh, she was terrific. And I've always wanted to talk to her in a little bit more detail, so I invited her for a one-question quickie. And the one question this time is... uh, It's about process, and that's for my buddy Dave Lundy, because he knows how much I enjoy talking about process. So here is Melinda Capellis, answering one question, which turns into several more questions, here on Off-Road. I think what we want to do is we want to talk about your process. Of course, I first saw you in uh, the MFR with a hat. It was a brilliant performance. And of course there was, you know, that Tony was there too, (laughs) but um, you were fabulous in it. So, but you don't have to talk about that particular production. Just tell me any production and how you go from what you see on the page to what you are on the stage. Since I was really young, I always studied human beings, like how they walk, how they talk, why they're talking like this, why they're because the concept of communication never really connected for me when I was younger. I couldn't really connect with that. Like, why are they socially doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, later on, I found out that I was just, I had social anxiety when I was younger. So um, that's why I couldn't really connect. But acting helped me through that. So what I do is, the first thing I do is I read the entire script, right? And I read it over and over and over. And then I find the character's monologues. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to hear what she or he are saying at that moment and who they are and how they say it at that moment. And I start connecting with their monologues and how they're yelling or how they're not yelling and why they're choosing that moment. I look up the director of the production that I'm going to be in, how they've worked with other productions, look at other other productions. I look at the writer, I see other plays that they've done to see the connection in characters. Mm -hmm. And it helps me put the pieces together after I read the whole script multiple times and the monologues multiple times I start now giving that character personality and where is she from why does she walk in that room at that moment why was she entering and exiting at that room at the moment my favorite thing is entrances exits I'm obsessed with the connection of another character to another character in that moment or why she's being presented into the world in that moment and why she needs to leave that world in that moment is it she's too much for you right now? Is that why she's leaving at that moment? Is she, is it that she, you, you are too much for her right now? Is that why she's leaving that moment? So I look at all the entrances and exits and what leads up to those moments. So what makes this person 
enter at this moment. What is what's going on in her head before she enters? Yeah. But it's interesting that to think about why am I coming in at this moment? What is she after? Yes, and then after I look at all the entrances and exits and seeing it from my eyes and why I'm coming and going. Now I read it over again and write down why in the story arc she needs to come in and needs to leave at that moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why is it important for her to leave and not be part of the story for this piece and what's happening behind the scenes in that piece? And then it gives me a purpose and a reason and, and an arc for the ending of this character. And then I put it away. I, I fill up this whole entire notebook of when, how, what music they listen to. I make a playlist for each scene and uh, I play it in my head over and over as I'm reading it. I put it all away, I let it go and I come with a blank notebook to the first reading because after I've done all that consuming and building, I have to now break it down because now it's like, what's the director's interpretation of this story? And what about um, the other character or my partner? My partner could have a completely different story because that's from their view. So now I have to let go and accept what they're coming with and go, ah, okay, now I understand. Mm -hmm. She's not entering for this reason, she's exit. So I come with a blank book to the first reading. I write down as many notes as possible as we're speaking, as we're reading, how he yelled at that moment, how I yelled. Oh, that's interesting that he interpreted it that way. That's interesting that the director said this. And then I combine the books I make my own little history panel and the third book is everything together and I just read through it and read through it. And even in, in your movements, in your actions, in I'm thinking when you were talking about why she enters the room, you also think about how does she enter this room? How does she walk? What's her physicality? What, you know, I don't even know if you can address that in the, you know, two minutes that we have left here, but I, I really am wondering how all of this sort of leads to a certain physicality in the character. So uh, my background is um, circus performing. So with that comes a lot of miming and comes a lot of body work. Body work comes natural for, oh. for us. So I feel like after I do all this notebooking, which I include how she walks in the notebook, I include how she speaks, how she does her makeup, how she forms. And then I, I let that emotion uh, push the character's walk and talk so if i'm angry how do i get angry? do i get angry with my head down do i get angry mm -hmm. with my do i roll my head do i you know and i i that is what I, I before i go on stage i literally just build my body and make sure is she leading from the chest is she leading from the and all that has to come with those notes that i put together and that character work i think once i get the attitude and once i know why it's happening my body automatically minds it what else i like about this this you're the first person i've interviewed in these little one question quickies who has talked about the process which i find fascinating i find that's one of my favorite things for me as an actor so to hear how other people do it and there are things you do that i don't do there are things you do that i thought i i should do that everybody has a different process um is, is there anything else you'd like to add to this about how you get it from the page to the stage? Yeah, I, I would like to add this. Victoria Paris was the, the director at that time for, mm -hmm. for that show. Yes. And she said something that I like, it's stuck in my head forever. And she's very adamant about character work. And she says, the storyline's important and everything, but once you do the character work, it's like the rest comes together. And we, we sat there at a table and we did like 
exercised and we spoke to each other in character and we wrote each other letters and we, and I think that I am a true believer in that. I think that I, I have to do the character work before we sit down and do the blocking and everything. I have to sit there and I have to really focus on who this character is. And, and yes, not everybody works like that, which I understand completely, but I thought it was, that was the beautifulness of MF, which is my favorite show that I ever did. And I think it's because the director was more like, she really was adamant about, listen, we really got to understand where they are coming from before we go out there and start sitting on a sofa and sniffing crack. And like, you know, like <laughs> before we do all that, you, you really have to understand where she's coming from and you cannot judge them. And that was the one thing that stuck in my head. I was just like, I have to learn how to not judge this character and become this character. And it just opened up a floodgate for everything and it, it was easy for me to let go as well after because it was just like that was a study I'm, it, it was a scientific experiment is there ever been a time where you make a discovery that is so different from what you were expecting or maybe the character oh i was i was thinking of her this way and now it's pushing me in a completely different direction specifically with that character i remember thinking to myself oh i know her but I always uh, looked at the character and worked and studied the character at judging. I was just like, you know, oh, she's just one line character. She likes to curse, she likes to do drugs, she, that's who she is, whatever, you know? And then I started like, oh, you know what? Like, damn, like she's really not um, the one line street girl that I thought she was, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like she really does have this compassionate heart and this ability to connect with others. And she doesn't have that ability with her family. And so she, and then just started bawling and bawling. And that's when I knew uh, it was, it was something that I didn't come to the table with. I came to the table with my, with my prejudgments and she helped us chisel it down to like, you know, these are actual people, actual storylines with actual emotions. And they're just not narcissistic beings that are walking around this planet. Melinda Capellis, I'm so happy to have spoken to you today. Thank you so much. Take care, dear. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye <laughs> now. Oh, that kind of shot. Well, of course, I'll be getting it up whenever. I'll be on the top of the list, I'm sure, because old guys are... Oh, never mind. Melinda Capellis, what a delight to talk to her. And I have to tell you that the Tony I mentioned, he'll be here next episode. He'll be contributing. That's Tony Alcacer. And he'll be contributing next time in our to-go segment. But, oh, I have to tell you. I was going to keep this a secret, but I have to tell you that next time on RLTP's Off-Road with Little Old Me, you're not going to believe who the guest is going to be. When I tell you this, you're going to... Set your alarm clocks, set your Apple Watch, set your timers, set your, you know, Alexa or whatever, and set your alarms to listen to Off-Road on December 21st. It's my special Christmas week gift to you, the very wonderfully talented and lovely and charming music director and principal conductor of the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra, Joanne Folletta. Wow. I don't want to tell you any more, but she just couldn't have been more charming and delightful. I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to talk to her. 
But that's two weeks away, and a lot of things can happen in two weeks, especially if you forget to wear your mask. Put your mask on. Uh, We've got to get these numbers down, folks. And I know we will, and I know we can. But you have to play the game with all the rest of us. So stay safe, stay sane, stay healthy. Patronize as many of our great restaurants as you can. Get yourself some takeout. And don't forget to add a tip for the workers in the kitchen, for the guys who bring the food out to you. Don't forget to add a tip. Stay warm in the house and come back in two weeks to join me for my conversation with Joanne Folletta. In the meantime, this has been RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Pete Pomisano.